Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. So welcome to a new year. Yeah. Yeah. We are in Romans chapter 2. We're going to finish this chapter today. Knock on wood. Um, finish this thing up. Um, but uh, some, I thought it would be interesting to, uh, first of all, step back and look at a couple of things going on around us that pertain to what we've been talking about here in Romans, especially Romans chapter 1. Um, yesterday, for the fun of it, I went out and did a, a COVID survey, you know, do you have COVID kind of thing. My, my nephew's not feeling well, and it's like, I don't have COVID. I don't have any of the symptoms of it or anything like that, but doesn't that doesn't mean anything, all right? But he, um, he's not, he do, and he doesn't have the, the, the uh, what do you call it, the symptoms of COVID. He, I think he's got a cold. Um, but I said, ah, just for the sake of it, I'll go out there and see what it is. You know, and as I was going down through that, a couple of interesting questions was asked. You, do, you go to the CDC site and you can do a COVID survey, like should you get tested and all of that. And one of the questions which was interesting is, what was your gender assigned at birth on your birth certificate? That's, I'm not making it up. Interesting. So, you know, I put it down. Then the next question is, how do you consider yourself to be? What gender do you consider yourself to be? This is the CDC. That's yep. the CDC. This is the CDC website. Yep. All right. Hmm. hmm. And then, um, I don't know if you know this, but our, our liberal neighbors up north have just passed a law. I don't know if you know about this that basically says, makes it illegal, punishable by prison, if you say anything about someone's gender. In other words, if you say that homosexuality is wrong, you can go to prison. Mm -hmm. If you try to help people with their gender identity and offend them, you can go to prison. In other words, it's illegal now to preach against homosexuality, LGBTQ issues in Canada as of January 11th. You can go to prison. So not only are sinners sinning, they're now making it illegal for you to tell them that they're sinning. That's the society we're headed into. That's what's happening. And some have said that Canada is just about 20 years ahead of the America when it comes to this stuff. You know. Yeah, but it, there's coming a day when if you stand up and say, well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that being, you know, homosexual is an abomination of the Lord, they say, we're going to arrest you and put you in prison for five years. They're saying that. It's ramping up, That's the world we're living in. See? See, not only do sinners want to sin, they want you to agree with their sin and say it's okay. See? That's right. That's been normal for years. It's just not been illegal for years. I know they feel somewhat guilt, but they don't want to. They don't want to change, but they feel better that I can get you to sin with me, or also, so that I I don't. You don't appear better than me. Yeah. To me, to me. Mm-hmm. People have always tried to. They want confirmation of their work. Yeah. Yeah. Draw you, draw us in. Mm-hmm. And. And that is the world, where, you know, and of course, you know, we look at that and as Christians, you know, we have a visceral reaction negatively against that. But yet we got to remind ourselves constantly that these people, if nothing happens, where are they going to spend eternity? And um, I think that brings us back to reality a little bit. That barring intervention from God, when they pass into eternity, you're going to pass into a Christless eternity. And um, so we don't, we can't see them as enemies. That's easy to do, isn't it? It makes you feel like, how much longer can we wait? Yeah. How much longer will God wait for 
And, and what that tells me is that God is a lot more gracious than we like him to think him to be. You know? you know, I asked some, you know, somebody said, I don't know why, you know, God's taking so long. And, of course, in Peter, Second Peter, he says, why is he waiting? It says the Lord is not slow concerning his promises, but he's waiting for everybody to repent. Now, who's the everybody there? Now, there's a good debate on that. But I think in context, what Peter's talking about is the elect, those that God has chosen. There's, a, there's people that God has chosen that are not yet saved. You can be elect and not saved. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. All of you in here that are saved, that know the Lord, at one point you were elect, but you weren't Christian yet. Right. Now, what would happen if God come back, Christ come back the day before you became a Christian? He's holding off, you know. But God's patience is not forever because what's going to happen someday, it's going to break out and we're going to have judgment. And I, I get distressed again, you know, I've talked about this in the class here. I get distressed at Christians who somehow are anticipating God to come back and, you know, smoke all of the bad guys. I mean, there's a part of me that wants God vindicated, but there's another part of me that says, you know, I really don't want to see that happen. I really don't. There shouldn't be, right? We should not anticipate God's judgment on unbelievers. You know, I subscribe to certain, I used to subscribe to certain fundamentalist trade, um, I call it trade mag, mag, sword of the Lord. And some of these guys on there, you know, they're just waiting for God to show up and just, you know, in judgments, you know, burn everybody, throw them all in hell. And it's like, that sounds more like Jonah to me. That's the Jonah factor, right? He's sitting outside the city. And why, why is he ticked in Jonah 4? Because God's not, he's not destroyed the city. Forty days have passed and nothing happened. And he's mad at God. And said, God, I'm so mad, kill me. Just kill me. Think about that. Do you really want God's judgment to fall? I don't. I don't like what's going on in government politics, but I really don't want God to judge them. Because I know what that is. God's given men time to repent. God's just a lot more gracious than we are. Think about that. God showed up to Noah. So I'm going to destroy the earth in a flood in 120 years. Build a boat. Now he didn't go down to Lowe's and order the lumber. What did he do? Found a tree and cut it down and sawed the logs himself. You wonder why it took him that long to do. Well, he didn't have any power tools or anything. It takes a while to make a boat that big. Go down to the Ark Encounter, you see just how big the thing was. And um, by the way, the, think about the Ark Encounter down there. It took, um, you know, 400 guys a year and a half to build the thing. How, what would happen if you did it all by yourself with three boys? It'd take a while, wouldn't it? Yeah. But what's God doing? God's giving man what? Time. And that's interesting. Noah went into the ark. And how long how long did God wait before he shut the door and caused the rain to fall? Seven days. Seven days. Yeah. God's given man time. There comes a time when time's up. And um there's a part of me that longs for God's righteous rule to reign to begin, but there's another part of me that says how many of my friends and possibly family are not going to fare that well. It makes you stop and think. That's why it's not about us to be thinking about tomorrow. Take take these people out, you know. No. Think for the people and witness for them. No. I mean, I mean, you know, not only is that the Jonah syndrome, that's the John James syndrome. Lord, can we call down fire from heaven and burn these people up? Whoa, guys, stop, you know. Well, there's mixed emotions. There are some of those people out there that need to be zapped. You know, <laughs> from our perspective. But there's a lot of people out there that are, in the eyes of the world, aren't that bad, but they have refused to accept Christ. Right. And they're, they're going to the same, have the same punishment. Yep. Yep. So that's where there's a difference, too. There are some of those people who say it wouldn't bother you too much if they got burned or something. Mm -hmm. hey, he wasn't that bad a guy. But that's why he's moved on. He, he calls and, and explain the 
salvation to people and I say, you know, you know, you're probably a good guy. Matter of fact, you might even be a better guy than I am. It's true. Yes. It's different twice. I've accepted I have Christ. Yeah. I've accepted Christ. And that's the you criteria. Know, as a, <coughs> in human standards and moral you may be better, but the difference is yeah. I've made a decision. You come to God on his terms, not yours. Right. Um I was reading in John the other day. I'm trying to read through it in Greek so I can start getting my Greek down. You know. There you go. Um, and in John chapter 3, of course, Christ is talking to Nicodemus. And he makes a statement, He that does not believe is condemned already because he doesn't believe. Mm -hmm. And I think we lose a little bit in our translation because the words there are in the perfect tense, which means basically it's a past act with continuing results. You're condemned meaning you are not only condemned, but you're currently condemned. Does that make any sense? Not only have you been condemned, but your condemnation is, a, is something that happened in the past. It's currently, you, you're currently under condemnation because you have not believed and you're still not believing. Until you believe. You're under condemnation. It's a, it's a, it's a tense It's hard to get across sometimes in the English language, but he's basically saying you're in a state of condemnation because you're in a state of unbelief. That's your life. That's what you are. That's your, you know, it's not that you in one time in the past said, I don't believe. Not only did it in the past, you still aren't. Unless God opens your eyes, you're not going to believe. And it's not that you committed one sin or something that, no, a bad thing that that's had you condemned. Like you say, because of our unbelief. Yeah. You're in, and by the way, unbelief is a refusal to believe. You know, it, it, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief, right? Doubt says, give me some information I would like to believe. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Unbelief, apistis in Greek, un unbelief is a refusal to believe. It's the Pharisees. They have all the information. Here's a guy raising the dead, doing miracles, everything else, and we're some, oh, well, he's of the devil. He's got to be of the devil because he's not one of us. If he was one of us, He'd be with us boys, but he's not. Therefore, And we know we're on God's side. We know that. Therefore, he can't be on God's side. That was their great conclusion. But we're living in a darkening world. And I think we need to just understand that it's not going to get any lighter. It's going to get darker. The world is going to get darker. And... Uh, we have to ask ourselves, I think, in the quiet moments of our thinking, what am I going to do when the, the government or anybody says, I have to disobey God? Do I obey them or do I obey God? Now, we're not talking about obnoxity here, right? But you got to say what it is. So, interestingly, January, I think 16th is a Sunday. Yeah, 16th is a Sunday. All across Canada and America... They're calling for pastors to preach against the LGBTQ agenda, calling it sin. It is sin. I mean, they're having a nationwide preach protest, I guess, in Canada is, the, is what's going on there. But, and by the way, you're not being mean to tell somebody they're sinful, right? I would like the doctor to come in and say, well... You're okay. Hang in there. When really he knows you have terminal cancer, but he doesn't want to tell you that. Because if I tell you that, it'll, it'll ruin your day. It'll make you feel bad. What, would you, what do you want a doctor to do? Tell me the truth. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. It's like the story of the woman who went on a vacation and uh, she called her husband every day and they asked, she asked her husband, you know, how's, how's Toby doing, their dog? And he said, well, he's, he's sort of okay. Next day, well, he's okay. Next day, you know, well, Toby died. Well, <laughs> couldn't you have broken it to me a little bit easier? I mean, you know, tell me something like, you know, Toby, you know, fell off the roof or something or 
you know, break it to me easily. You know, just tell me that my dog died, you know. By the way, how's mom? Oh, she's up on the roof. <laughs> um, look, folks, you got to tell people the truth. Now, we don't want to be obnoxious about it. Was Christ obnoxious when he preached the truth, when he said, tell people? He wasn't obnoxious, was he? In fact, the Bible says people marveled at the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. And not only that, but all the kids like to flock around him, right? Now, do kids like to flock around old cranky people? No. Which means why well, I don't have kids around me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, they, but kids don't congregate with cranky people. They congregate with people that love them. Kids flocked around Christ. He was a very affable, a very gracious person, but he told you the truth. He didn't mix it up. He didn't sugarcoat it. And that's what we need to do. But anyways, so that's, uh, that's the world we live in. It's getting to the point now where if you stand up and say that certain things are sins, you're seen as divisive, hate-filled, bigoted. And unfortunately, there are some Christians that act such that it makes it sound like, yeah, there probably are, you know. But that's not the way we're supposed to be. In chapter 2 of Romans, verse 25, we read, For circumcision is indeed of value if obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. What was the sign of the covenant that God gave Israel? Way back. Circumcision. Circumcision. Um, when, did he, when did that first pop up? Anybody know? Genesis. Abraham. God told Abraham to circumcise himself and all of his male children. Why that? Keep them apart. I think there's a good reason, yeah. Keep them apart, keep them separate. But why that? Why that particular thing? You ever think about that? I mean, why couldn't God say, just put a tattoo on your arm? <coughs> why, why circumcision? They're, they're, yeah, but God gave them the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. But why that sign? By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us. We've we got to read between the white spaces on this yeah. one. But why that sign? You know? Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of thought on that at some, at some people. Number one, God can give you a sign of anything he wants to, can he? That was the sign of the covenant. In fact, when Israel came out of the Egypt, what did they have to do? There's a time when they had to circumcise all the men, right? Now, by the way, it's a good health thing. It's a health issue as well. But here's the point. Here's what I think. When you have children, what kind of children are they? No. What is their nature? They are sinners. I think what God is saying is I want to remind you that what you produce in children are all sinful. They're all lost. You can't, you know, you can't have a child and that child turns out to be perfect. And I think God is just saying in that particular organ there that I want to remind you that when you have children, guess what kind of children you're going to have? They're all going to be sinful. You can't produce us. That was a sign of the covenant. And it became such a sign of the covenant that the Israelites were fastidious about this, especially during the time of Christ. So it's a speculation. Implied. Speculation. There's no evidence or no. anywhere of writing. No. There's no evidence. But it was a sign. And sometimes God had Israel do things just to keep them separate from other people. I would have had a hard time being an Israelite. You know why? 
I got to have my bacon and eggs in the morning. <laughs> All right. I mean, that, that's, you know, like one of the five, four major food groups, bacon and then yep. the other stuff, right? You gotta have my, I haven't had my bacon. But why did God tell him not to eat bacon? Why did God tell him not to eat pork? But why? Why? Why unclean? Why that one? Just to make them different. Why did God tell him to not to wear clothes not made out of two different kinds of threads? Set them apart. Some of the you know we read some of the Old Testament law and say, well, why did God tell him to do that? That's not a little bit bizarre, you know? Like, come on, what's the point of having cotton and linen? What's the problem with having a thing with cotton and linen in it? Well, God's saying. I want you to be separate. I don't want you to be like everybody else. You're to be different. You're to be separate. And this became a sign of the covenant to Israel and became part of their ingrained culture that, no, they weren't like all the other nations of the world. They weren't like everybody else. They had some weird things that they did that just kept them separate from everybody else. And it worked. It worked. The story goes in Maccabees, in, in time of Maccabees, of uh, one of the things Antiochus Epiphanes did, who was the Greek ruler during the time in the, in, in the middle of the Testaments, in between the Testaments. Tried to do forced Hellenization on Israel. What do you mean? He forced them to be, act like heathen. So he introduced the gymnasium, the games. The problem is, in those days, when you exercise in the gym, you exercise naked. All right? Can you imagine going down to the gym and lifting weights naked? I mean, that would gross you out, right? I wouldn't go to any gym if I had to go there. You don't see that. But the whole point is that's what you did back in those days. You competed naked in the games. And not only that, but he forced them to eat pork. He would send his soldiers into a city, and they'd sacrifice a pig and make all the Jews have a piece of bacon. And if you didn't, they would kill you. And he made it illegal to circumcise your children. And the story goes of one woman who had her children circumcised and he took her out in the middle of the place and killed all of her children and then slaughtered her. Antiochus Epiphanes. All right. He is one of the Greek he was one of the Greek rulers. Remember, after Babylon came Medo-Persia and then Greece, right? Alexander the Great. When Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was split into four pieces. All right. One of them was the Ptolemaic. From Ptolemy, he was in Egypt. Another one was Seleucus, which was in Palestine. And, one, and Seleucus, one of the kings in that line, was Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, he called him, himself Antiochus, they called him Antiochus Epimenes, which is madman. But he was Antiochus Epiphanes, the great one. And people call him, no, he's not Epiphanes, he's Epimenes. Um, but he was just, he was a bad apple. He was just a bad guy. And... Um, Daniel talks about him, by the way, in the book of Daniel, all right? But uh, he, was, he was bad, and he tried to force them into abandoning their traditional Jewish separation. But the Jews prided themselves on this. So much so that rabbis, you go back and look at rabbinical writings, but rabbis said that Abraham sits at the gates of hell, and any circumcised Israelite he will not allow to enter there. So what they're basically saying, if you're a Jew and you're circumcised, you're in. It doesn't matter what you do, you're in. You will not go to hell. That's sort of your get-out-of-hell-free card. Get circumcised, you're good. And what Paul is hitting at here in Romans, he's hitting at the pride principles, that, I don't know, the, the foundation of the Jewish belief that they're okay. They said, we got the law, we're in. We're God's people, we're in. We're circumcised, we're definitely in. And he just said, just because you have God's word, that doesn't mean anything, right? Because if you don't do it, you're no better than the Gentile that actually does it. So having God's law is not any help to you. In fact, if anything, it's worse, right? You know what God wants, and you don't do it. That's, that's worse than not having it. So he kicks that thing out from underneath him. And now he's coming down to the circumcision thing. He says, you guys think that because you're circumcised, you had that right done, you're in, you're okay. You're not. Circumcision is of value. 
do you need to be circumcised as a Jew? Yes, but that has to be accompanied with what? Obedience. See, their idea was, if I'm circumcised, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm in. I'm good. There are people today, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, as an infant, I was baptized. No, you just got wet. But you go to the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church says, as an infant, if you're baptized as an infant, and provided you commit no mortal sin, which is like the bad ones, the worst you can expect is a few million years in purgatory, but you'll get out. That's the theology. You will not go to hell. I mean, you're going to suffer. You know, you're going to have to pay for your own sin. You've got to do that. Yeah, he, he, Jesus paid for your original sin, but it's up to you to take care of the rest of the stuff. All right? Yeah, it's a sacerdotal, sacerdotal system, which means you work it. You get, you get grace conferred to you. So hopefully, the more grace you can accumulate, the better off you are when you die, and you won't have to spend as many years in purgatory. But, like indulgences. indulgences. Oh, yeah. Go to Europe and see how people do indulgences over there. They still do? Oh, I'm, I'm, good night, yeah. I went into a church where you got skeletons in glass coffins. You go pray to them, you yeah. get years off your purgatory. You go to the reliquary in Notre Dame Cathedral and pay five euros to go in and look at their holy hardware, you get some more years off your purgatory. You get a candle lit, now that, that helps Aunt Matilda out of yeah. a few years of purgatory. I mean, on it goes. Was that the same as sometimes what I, mean, I heard that they would go to the priest or something and indulge or whatever it was because they knew they were going to sin over the weekend or something well, like that. Yeah, I get a pre it's and then there's one where there's a certain thing that the Pope does every year that if you go through the side door of the Vatican, you get a, a plenary indulgence for everything. That's good. You're good for anything you do. The Bible says if you, your circumcision is valuable as a Jew if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes it's like you have the procedure reversed. You think just because you've been circumcised, you're in, but listen, if you disobey the law, you might as well not be circumcised at all. In fact, your circumcision becomes, now, becomes there is again in the perfect tense. Again, what's a perfect tense? Past action, current, past action with continuing results. It's like he's basically saying your circumcision becomes undone. Is what he's saying. Does that make any sense? It becomes undone. Not only have you been uncircumcised, but that uncircumcision continues even now as we speak. You might as well have the procedure undone, is what he's saying. Doesn't count. It's as though you didn't have it done at all, basically, is what he's saying. You didn't even have it done. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the law, what about the guy who's uncircumcised? But he keeps the precepts of the law. He does what God wants. Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Yeah, he'd be regarded as if he was circumcised because he kept the law. Obedient. As if he was. Paul is saying here, and by the way, the the thing there will not his be regarded as that's a future tense. Basically, Paul's saying his uncircumcision in the future will be counted as what? Even though he's uncircumcised now, as far as God's concerned, how does God look at him? As being circumcised. As being circumcised. What about women? Well, women were, yeah, the, the idea of the women there, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's kind of rough to do. But the whole idea of women is that they would be, they would be part of the covenant in the sense of that their children would be. Their husband, with their ch or their children, yeah. they would be part of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's and here's the thing, and I know this is not a popular view today, and that where you say this in certain mixed company, they would throw things at you. But in the Old Testament, under God's economy, who is the spiritual head and responsible person in the family? The men are. In fact, it's interesting, you go to the book of Exodus, 
And at the end of Exodus, there's a, there's a, there's a section on vows women make. Now, basically, it says if a woman makes a vow and her husband does not agree with it, it is as though she didn't make it. Of course, if the women are living by the law, mm -hmm. then that would be that sense would be the same as if they were circumcised. Right, so right. That's the point. So yeah. The same thing would follow. The same thing would follow, but the point there is that is that in in God's I don't want to use redemptive. That's probably a bad word to use. Um, in the home, the man is the responsible, spiritual responsible head and responsible party. You know that because when Eve ate the apple, nothing happened. Well, when she ate the plum. I hate plums. When she ate the plum, nothing happened. When the man ate the plum, what happened? Well, it's, I call it a plum. But, you know. but that's when humanity was plunged into sin. But God is saying here, shall not his uncircumcision... He's in a state of uncircumcision now, but if he's keeping the law and doing what God says and obeying God, his uncircumcision will be counted as though he is circumcised, even if he's not. Then he's more obedient in the eyes of God than a circumcised Jew Yes. who's not keeping the law. Yeah, because here's what Paul's trying to drive through to these, these Jews, Jewish people. It's not what you do that matters. It's why you do it. What is your heart motivation? Say. See, we fall into this legalism trap. Many years ago, we had a rule at Open Door that as a leader in the church, you were not allowed to go see a movie at the movie theater. You had to sign a car. Actually, you had to sign a the document every year that I will not smoke, drink, I don't think he had chew on it. But smoke, drink, and go to movies and dance. Yeah, that I think I don't think he had that one there, but he had the other ones in there. And uh, it it was occurred to me kind of bizarre, like okay, so I can't go see this particular movie at a movie theater, but in two years when it comes out on TV, it's okay that I watch it. Well, if I probably shouldn't watch it in the movie theater, I probably shouldn't watch it when it's on my television set, right? I said I said it's somewhat. And it's somewhat easier to live under laws and regulations yes. than it is under grace. It is. Because grace makes it your decision. Your you got to decide, why am I doing this? It's, it's, oh, I can't mm -hmm. do that Black because my church says I can't. Right. But, but at the point of grace, it says, well, can you do that? Well, why do you want to do it? Yeah, maybe I can or whatever. Yeah. It was interesting because I remember towards the end of that time, um, the assistant pastor, the associate pastor of the church, um, came out of the movie rental theater down by Uncle Al's Pizza down there. And on the window, you have all of these posters of X-rated and R-rated movies. And here's this pastor walking out with a videotape. And it was okay for him to rent videos at a place that, but he dare not go to a movie theater. Has that since changed? Yeah, it has. That's what, uh, but it's like, what? Yeah. I remember when we were interviewing Walls. Walls. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Outside, but you do it within your own home. So he said, your list is way too short yeah. if you're going to be lawful about it. Yeah. yeah. So that's where my, I felt like that's where Pastor Walls went through a lot of harassment he, stuff, but he brought grace to the church. He brought us back from, from the legalism, precipice of legalism. Pastor Ring was, was a great man. Love him. Love him. Uh, he was an evangelist, but he was still more a legalist. Uh, yeah. Legalist. But when Pastor Walls came, and and so under grace, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Lord, can I go to the movies tonight? Why do you want to go to the movies tonight? But can I go see that movie? Well, why do you want to watch that movie? Mm -hmm. But can I do it? Yes or no? Well, why do you want to do it? I mean, that's irritating. You, what happened? You, you got to think, right? Answer it yourself, yeah. Why are you doing this thing? Let me know. No, I don't know. I, the whole point there is that God wants you to think and engage your brain and use your brain. Grace doesn't necessarily 
But it doesn't. It's not license. It's not license. But it always occurred to me odd that, and I remember somebody in the church saying, well, I'm not allowed to go watch the Terminator in the movie theater, but I can get the video when it comes out. Well, maybe you shouldn't watch it at all. You know, that's the point. And Paul's trying to make a point here to these people that were steeped in legalism. They were steeped in it. you got to understand, they were raised with this mentality that their Jewishness and their adherence to the minutia of what the rabbis told them gave them favor with God. Paul is saying, that doesn't count. None of that counts. Your circumcision doesn't count. Your legalism doesn't count. What you do doesn't count. Christ constantly, he's constantly butting heads with these guys. Go through the, just go home and read the New Testament. All right? MacArthur has a book, by the way, um, I forget the name of it, but it's John MacArthur on the, um, yeah, he's giving me a hard time. But it, it's, a, it's like a, it's the life of Christ basically told from a chronological perspective from the Gospels. It's sort of a good book. I, I, I think I got it. It's the Jesus Who Was or something like that, I think it is. But it's, it just shows the story of Jesus chronologically as taken from the, um, from the Gospels, showing his chronology. But I, it's interesting, when I taught the life of Christ many years ago, it was, you constantly think Christ fighting with the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know what almost all of his fights were over? What rule they had that he was constantly butting into? Sabbath. 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 Why, are your, why are your disciples threshing on the Sabbath? What were they doing? They walked through the grain fields and just rubbed some ears of corn off, kernels of corn to eat them. Why are they doing that? That's a, that's, they're threshing. And of course, Christ took great delight in healing people on the Sabbath. Sometimes he waited for the Sabbath to roll around so that he could actually do a miracle on the Sabbath just to you know, gig them in the eyeball or something like that, poke them in the eye. Yeah, if your animal falls in a hole, you'll, dip, you'll pull it out, but here's a man who's been had a hand withered for years. I heal him, and you're mad because I could do that on a Monday or whatever. Constantly bucking into that. What have they done? They had created laws that were not in the Old Testament. Yeah. You create laws. You make them up. And Christ says, you invalidate the laws of God by saying it is a gift to your parents. What does that mean? Oh, I'm devoted my money to God. I can't give it to you, Mom and Dad, to take care of you in your old age. You're on your own. You violate God's law by making a law of your own. Yeah. Nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. Nor a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by a written code. Yeah. Such a person's praise is not from the other people, but from God. Yeah. God is always looking inside your heart. Why are you doing this? What do you think? What, what's your motivation? See, see, that's what we can't judge. We can, I can't judge a person's motivation. I don't know why people do what they do. I don't know why I do what I do. If I don't know why I'm doing it, how am I going to figure out why you're doing it? No. Those who may be saved, but we don't walk around with a halo over our heads so people can see no. that you receive Christ. And we're still human beings, mm -hmm. and we it's, we don't go continually without any kind of sin at all, right. like Christ did. So we do things that are maybe wrong, and people see that. And yeah. say, well, the difference is I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Where you know, the spirit, you made the decision. Yeah. I'm still I'm still a sinner. I need to ask forgiveness and not do these things. But, yeah. you know, God, and I say God looks at our heart. Yeah. We always, and by the way, it's not wrong to point out if somebody's sinning, right? right. That's not what the Bible is saying. If you're, if you're motivated, but, correct, correct motive. Yeah, but I can't look at your heart and say, you're just a, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. I really don't. I can say what you're doing is sin. No, you shouldn't steal. I can't tell you what you're stealing because of, and then, see, that's what the problem with modern psychology is trying to tell you why you do things. They don't know. What Paul is saying here is, in, he says, listen, if, you, if an uncircumcised person does what the law wants him to do, his uncircumcision shall be counted as 
circumcision. By the way, let's think about this a minute. What is the, what is the reason God gave the law? What was the law meant to do? To point you to what? Christ. To, to make you understand you can't keep this thing. And by the way, just so you understand, the law is not a codification of do's and don'ts. It's a codification of actions, technically. All right? So here's the, here's the thing. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, will you have other gods before Him? Commandment 1. Will you make an idol? Uh, will you worship the right God in the wrong way? Commandment number 2. No, you won't. Will you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy in the sense that you're going to spend time with God? Yeah, if you love someone, you want to spend time with them, right? You're going to devote yourself to them. If you love God, are you going to presume on His name? Are you going to take advantage of His character? Well, God will forgive me. It doesn't matter. I'll do what I want. If you love God, are you going to obey your parents that God put over you? Yeah. If you love God, are you going to steal from somebody else? Commit adultery? You're going to lie about them? You're going to covet? The point is, the law... We, we see it as do's and don'ts. Well, remember when the lawyer says, you know, Christ said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbors as self. If you do those two things, the law takes care of itself, right? If I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm not going to be an idolater, and I'm not going to make a graven image, and I'm going to spend time with him, and I'm not going to take advantage of his character. That's the first part of the Decalogue right there. If I love my neighbors myself, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to commit adultery with them. I'm not going to lie about them. I'm not going to covet what they got. It's a codification of love. And Paul is trying to get them to look back because they had codified it to rules. Do this, 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 this. And Paul is saying, no, get rid of that. Go to the why. And if you get the why right, all of this will work its way out. It will just be a natural byproduct. It says, then he was physical, verse 27, he was physically uncircumcised but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Again, written code and circumcision. That's what, those are the two major things that the Jews were banking on. I've got God's word and I've got circumcision. I am good to go. I'm in. And Paul's saying the guy who doesn't have either one of those, if he is doing what God wants him to do, if he's honoring God, he's better off than you are who has it, but you don't do it. You got the code. You got the right, but you're not doing what God wants you to do. Not living it. You have it, but you're not living it. The word there, written code, is the book, the, the, the Old Testament. You have God's commandments. You have it. Right. It's pointing to Christ. It's a picture book. But you can, you know, the, the problem is you can go give God your sacrifice. If your heart's not there, does it? Does God offer it? Does God want it? Well, look at the book of Malachi. Or if you're a Italian, Malachi. In the book of Malachi, what does he say? God is talking to the Israelites. He said, go away. I don't want your feet. I don't want your offerings. I don't want your oblations. I don't want your worship. Get out of my sight because your heart's not there. You're making me sick. Go away. Leave. Don't. That's okay. Or keep your deed or take it out. Why do you give, yeah, why do you give God your money? Because if I don't do that, I'm going to get zapped by this lightning bolt. No. If you love God, what are you going to do? If you love God, you're going to give Him. And you're not going to worry about the 10% or 20 Percentages mean nothing. Why are you doing it? Yeah, I was a guide, but I, you know, I, we get stuck on that. I, I remember I had a guy say, well, I'll give my God to my 10%. I can do what I want with the rest of my money. No, that's not the way this thing works. Everything you have is God's, right? God wants, what do you do with all of it? 
I gave my guy my 10% and I blow the other 90% on prostitutes and alcohol and everything else, but I gave him my 10%, I'm okay. Now, wait a minute. You're missing the point. Why are you doing it? It goes back to the heart. Why do you do things? That's the big question. That's one of the questions, you know, I, you know, in later years of my life, it's like, I used to be very legal. You know, I, have, I had that legalistic streak in me, and it's like, why am I doing this? I think God wants to know, why are you doing this? Why do you, why do, you do this? Zechariah is interesting. There's a part in Zechariah, chapter, I think, 9, 8 or 9, one of those, where Zechariah has a delegation come from him. The guys come to him and say, um, they, uh, we've, we're coming down from a bunch of people that want to know, do we keep the feast of the 10th month? And you see, the fifth month and the seventh month as we've done these last 70 years. I think it's fifth and seventh. Don't get me on that. My age is losing it here. There's a couple of feasts or fasts they were doing. Do we need to keep doing the fast? And these fasts were to commemorate the siege of Jerusalem and the fall of Jerusalem, basically. And they had a fast. So every year on the anniversary of the fall of Jerusalem, they would have a national fast. And these guys come to Zechariah and says, do we need to keep doing this? Because Zechariah is in, of course, when they came back from the, from the exile. The exile is over. They're back in the land. Do we need to keep doing this? Zechariah says, let me go last God. Comes back a little later and says, God wants to know why you're doing it. Are you doing it because you're actually mourning? Keep at it. If you're doing it because you're just doing it, have a hamburger. That's a Schaefer translation, yes. but yeah. Yeah. But the but the imagery in Zechariah is really cool. Why are you doing this? If you do it because you're actually sorry for your sin, go. If you're doing it because you've been doing it for seventy years, but you really don't want to do it, go have a hamburger. Go eat. Doesn't mean anything. Obedience. obedience. And that's what Paul's getting at here. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. You say, I'm a Jew because I had the external right done. Paul's saying, no, that doesn't count. He's a Jew who is one inwardly. What's outwardly? Outwardly is the external looking, the external... The N-word is the heart. It's the inside of you. Yeah. Physically has to do with your physios, your physical. The word is physios in the Greek. Your physical existence. That's the outward. Paul's saying don't worry about the physical. Worry about the krypta. Krypta, we get krypta. What, is, what do you think krypta sounds like? Krypta, crypto. Huh? Crypto, it's, it's hidden. It's you know, it's hidden. Cryptography. What's like cryptography? Codes. It's something that's hidden. He said, God is, not God is not looking at what's on the outside. God is looking at what's hidden in your heart. Because if it's hidden in your heart, what does that mean? I can't figure it out, right? I can look at your outside and I can see what's outside, but I can't see what's inside you. And God is saying, true Judaism is not outward, it's inward. It's what you are on the hidden person. It's what you are on the inside. No one is a Jew is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. True circumcision in God's sight is not outward, it is inward. It's what you are on the inside. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. The true you, the, the, the self. By the Spirit, not by the letter, not by the code, but by the Spirit, the inside of you, whose praise is not from man but from God. Here's the point. Do you want to be praised by God or man? See, a lot of times we can look around and say, oh, you know, he's really a good guy. He's really a you know, awesome guy, on and on and on and go. And you find out later on he's a serial killer and adulterer. But he looked good. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? 
well, there's something hidden that we didn't see, but who sees it? Who sees it? God does. The scariest passage in the Bible to me is Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do all of these works? And I'll say to you, I have no idea who you are. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't know because he's ignorant. What does it mean? These people never had a relationship with God. Now, from, from the external, from our perspective, what do we see? Oh, great guy, you know, wonderful, you know, Christian leader, on and on it goes. And he winds up condemned to eternal hell because he never was real. Works-oriented. Paul is saying here in Romans, end of Romans, to the Jewish person, true Judaism is not what you do on the outside, and it's not how you look on the outside, and it's not what surgical procedures you've had done to you. True Judaism is on the inside. And if you keep the law on the inside, and you do what God wants on the inside, it doesn't matter what the outside looks at, because God's looking at the inside, not the outside. And that's the thing he gets at. So in chapter 3, he's going to go and just nail this home with the Jews. And we're going to do that next week. So, good night. Yeah. Thank you, Father, for today and um, for your word. And help us to take these words to heart that what you want from us is not external but internal. You want our heart. You want our why. Yeah, it matters what we do. But what we do is flows from what we are. And if we can work on what we are, then what we do flows out of that. So help us to do that. And again, thank you for this word and thank you for the service to come. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.